God, as we remember the promises of our own baptism and your claim on our lives, help us to listen through the reading of your holy word to your call to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this season of Lent, we are exploring eight core stories, foundational stories of our scriptures. We heard the first one on Ash Wednesday, the story of God's call, particularly to Abram and Sarai, which is the story that we heard on Wednesday. We're going to add a bonus story on Monday Thursday, the story of the Last Supper, the story of the table. Um, But if you're wondering how stories made this short list of foundational stories, I would say this. The stories in this series are ones that have a particular ongoing resonance in our lives of faith. They are not stories to be relegated to the past, even though they may be situated in the past. They're stories whose lessons resound in the present and into the future. Today's story is the story of the Exodus, and it is certainly one of those stories that reverberates through our lives and uh, over millennia. Uh, It's a difficult story just to pull out because it's a long and somewhat complicated story, so uh, I would encourage you to maybe read it this week. Um, It is... uh, As um, Sam Adams pointed out in his class on the Bible in movies, it's a cinematic story that has been made into some epic films. Um, But today, we're going to hear selected verses from the book of Exodus, chapters 3, 7, 8, and 9. So listen for what God has to say to the church. This begins with God speaking to Moses from the burning bush. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go on a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water, stand by at the riverbank to meet him, take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. 
Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. The fish in the river shall die. The river itself shall stink, and the Egyptians shall be unable to drink water from the Nile. The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt's its rivers, its canals, and its ponds, and all its pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the whole land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we think about the way that we mark time in a given year, we find that many of them, the ones that we refer to as holidays or holy days, are based on memories stories that we have learned or been told. The 4th of July and Thanksgiving, stories about the first settlers and those who founded our nation are commemorated in these holidays. On Memorial Day and Veterans Day, we remember the sacrifices of those who've served in the military. Christmas, we celebrate God becoming one of us in the Incarnation. Holy Week and Easter, we remember all the events of the last week of Jesus' life. His entry into Jerusalem, his last supper with his disciples, his betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. All these observances are based on past events and stories about them that have been handed down over hundreds or even thousands of years. And when we gather on Monday, Thursday, during Holy Week, to remember Jesus' last meal with his disciples, we are actually commemorating a memory within a memory. For that last meal Jesus celebrated was the Passover Seder, a Jewish holiday which is all about remembering the events of the Exodus. So why is this Exodus story so important? Why do we need to remember this confrontation between Pharaoh and Moses with all its ugliness and the horror of the ten plagues? Perhaps it's because more than any other story, the Exodus gave the Hebrew people their identity. They are the people whose cries God heard. They are the people whose suffering awakened God's compassion and whose unjust treatment by a corrupt empire stirred God's wrath. They are the people God set free. The Exodus is the story of how God's love compelled God to intervene, to get involved, and to send others to get involved in the liberation of God's people. So because this is such a complicated story, it's worth reviewing how it came to be that God's people were slaves in Egypt. 
The Exodus actually begins back with that call story we heard on Wednesday when the descendants of Abraham and Sarah found themselves facing hard times because of an extended drought. Fortunately, one of their relatives, a Hebrew named Joseph, by a series of remarkable events, had landed a position in the administration of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And in Egypt, there was food during the drought. So Joseph welcomed first his brothers and their families, and then more and more of God's people to Egypt as refugees. But then time passed, and Joseph died, and a new pharaoh came to power. This pharaoh was threatened by the Hebrews, and so he conscripted them into forced labor to build his cities. As the Hebrew people grew in strength and numbers, Pharaoh became more and more afraid of them, finally passing a law to have every newborn Hebrew boy killed. One of those newborn babies is Moses, whose mother tries to save him by putting him in a basket and sending it down the Nile River, where he is found and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. When he becomes an adult and learns the truth of his past. Moses sees the suffering of his people, and in a fit of rage, he kills an Egyptian overseer. He escapes to the land of Midian, where he gets married and starts a new life. Until that day, God speaks to him from a burning bush. God tells Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry. I have come to deliver them. Now you go back to Egypt, for I have chosen you for this job. Now there are several components to the task that God sends Moses to do. The task is going to require Moses to work with other people. First, his brother Aaron, who's going to be his right-hand man, But then God tells Moses, go and assemble all the elders, the leaders of the people. God does not expect Moses to do this job alone. This task will also require Moses to confront those in power and to recognize that power does not give up easily. The king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand, God says. Finally, this task will require Moses to act with courage, with patience, and with perseverance. As this story unfolds, God will compel Pharaoh to let the people go by visiting ten plagues on Egypt, each one arguably worse than the one before, from turning the Nile River, the lifeblood of Egypt, from water into actual blood to causing the death of every firstborn in Egypt, from the heir to Pharaoh's throne to the firstborn of the livestock. Each plague at first seems to work. Initially, Pharaoh relents and seems on the verge of conceding to Moses' demands. But when the effects of the plagues are reversed, when the Nile turns back into water, and the frogs and the gnats and the flies and the locusts are gone, Pharaoh changes his mind. His heart hardens. He doubles down on his position. 
He will not let God's people go. Until that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, when Pharaoh finally relents. And even then, when the people escape in haste in the middle of the night, Pharaoh sends his army after them. This story is indeed cinematic in its scope. It is worth reading, Exodus chapters 1 through 14. And you'll discover, if you do, that even as the story is told in the Bible, the text contains instructions for how God's people are to remember it. This is what the Jewish observance of Passover is all about, remembering that God hears the cries of God's people and that, as the Seder liturgy puts it, we were all once slaves in Egypt. Now, if all we take from the Exodus story is that God hears the cries of those who suffer, that God responds to oppression, we will have missed the point. Because the story of the Exodus is also a story about us. The Exodus story is, to us, what that burning bush was to Moses. It is a place from which God speaks to us, calling us away from the comforts and habits of our lives and sending us out to get involved with those who are weighed down by our modern-day pharaohs. Now, after four years as your pastor, you probably know me well enough at this point to know that if it were up to me, I would spend all of my time reading, learning, writing, leading study groups, meeting with people, and occasionally getting up out of a chair to go for a run when I would listen to podcasts. When my workday was over, I'd go home and cook for my family, listen to music, play games, watch TV with them. So I have to tell you that when I read this story of Moses, I would really prefer a story in which Moses gets to stay in Midian, that middle place to which he escapes and makes a life for himself, gets married, starts a family, why does God have to call Moses to confront Pharaoh and liberate God's people? Hasn't Moses dealt with enough? Barely escaping genocide as an infant, adopted by his family's mortal enemy, growing up to discover his split identity as a Hebrew raised in Pharaoh's palace, a truth so disturbing it incites him to murder. And if this story of the Exodus is our burning bush, we could ask the same thing. Haven't we already dealt with enough? Life in 2023 is hard. There isn't a person I know who isn't struggling in some way. It is all most of us can do to get through each day without succumbing to despair, whether over hardships in our own lives or in the lives of people we love or over the tragic events we are constantly hearing about in the news. Even if life in our Midian is no picnic, 
Why should we give our precious time and energy to the concerns of people we don't even know, who might be across town or next door or around the world? Well, for me, the problem with hunkering down in Midian as much as I want to is this. The more I read the Bible, the more time I spend in prayer, the more I study the life and teachings of Jesus, the more I am confronted with the undeniable reality that God doesn't just see and hear the suffering of God's people. God responds to it through the actions of ordinary people like you and like me. These stories of our faith and the time we spend in prayer and study are not unlike the plagues that eventually wore down even the corrupt Pharaoh and caused him to do God's will. The stories we read in the Bible, the ones we hear each week in worship, they work on us. They get under our skin. They grab hold of us and make us uncomfortable until finally we relent. We leave our own personal Midians, if only from time to time, to go where people are suffering, to hold accountable those who have power to bring relief. And when we do this, we learn that this pattern, this Exodus template, it isn't a thing that just happened once a long, long time ago. It is an ongoing story that gets repeated again and again and again. God hears the cries of the oppressed. God calls people like us together and sends us to confront our pharaohs. And we who respond must do this with courage, patience, and perseverance, because pharaohs do not relent quickly or easily. At the age of 16, Brian Stevenson sat with his grandmother after his grandfather's murder, deciding between two paths in front of him, the short path of seeking revenge or the long road of pursuing justice. He chose the long road, which took him to Harvard Law School and then to Atlanta, where during an internship he learned about the number of men on death row, many of whom had committed no crime. Stevenson eventually devoted his whole law career to people suffering in this particular way, founding the Equal Justice Initiative to liberate those unjustly condemned to die. So far, he and his colleagues have achieved the release of 150 death row detainees. They are also working diligently, persistently, courageously to change the injustices of our country's criminal justice and prison system. Stevenson is doing this particular work because he answered God's call to him to get close to those who are suffering in this particular way, to get involved in God's project of liberation. Like Moses, Stevenson learned when you get close to people and see their suffering firsthand, we cannot not respond.
Our God is not a distant God who created the universe and then sat back dispassionately to observe the events of the world and of humanity. The Exodus story teaches us God hears the cries of God's people, and God sends us to respond. God sees, God hears, God responds by calling us together and sending us to call out injustice, to fight with courage, patience, and perseverance on behalf of any of God's people, anyone suffering under Pharaoh's mighty hand. Amen.